Good evening and welcome to Tuesday Topics. It is uh, October 27th and uh, it is not raining in Miami, which is actually big news because it uh, has been for the last seven days virtually non-stop. It is my pleasure to welcome to Tuesday Topics, Dr. Joel Snyder. Hello, Dr. Joel Snyder. Oh, Mr. Paul Edwards. Pleasure to be with you. I'm glad you're here. And we're going to be talking about all kinds of things, audio description. And let's start with where it all began. Um, and, and I guess there were two different tracks of audio description. So actually finding a single starting point is tough. Would you agree with that, Joel? I think perhaps so. There, there are actually probably many starting points, especially if you consider that audio description has been around since, uh, what, prehistoric times, uh, and not even necessarily with respect to people who are blind, it just telling somebody about what what's coming from the left, you know, and they're looking at the right. They can't see what's coming from the left, so you're describing it. Or, you know, what happened last night? You're describing it. People have been describing um, since, oh, millennia. Uh, and in fact, uh, it's written about in... Uh, uh, Greek literature, actually, it's referred to as ekphrasis, um, uh, providing a de- detailed description of an image. So, but but uh, getting getting away from all of that, um, I think uh, professional audio description uh, traces its roots back to about 1975, when a fellow named Gregory Fraser wrote a master's thesis on how one might describe, one might make a video, a film, accessible to people who are blind by uh, using words to describe the images. And uh, by the way, we have that thesis. So it's called uh, an all audio audio an all audio adaptation of the autobiography of Miss Jane Pittman. Some may remember that film with Cecily Tyson. And uh, he he did a description of it and wrote a thesis about it uh, at San Francisco State University. And we we have that on the Audio Description Project website. I knew Gregory very well. Uh, unfortunately, we lost him in the 90s. I think it was. But but um, uh, he really was uh, a, a leader and uh, uh, one of the first to certainly one of the first to write about description, actually publish literature about description. And nobody's then all, ever nobody's yeah. ever put his description onto the film, though, have they? No, not for uh, uh, autobiography of Miss Jane Pittman. No, not that I know. I don't. Th- that's a great question, actually. In fact, I have a note to myself somewhere to see about. I don't believe that that film has ever been described, and I I think that might be kind of an exciting project for the audio description project and initiative to to actually just go ahead and describe it uh, get the license from whoever owns the film work with them on that and and put out a described version and then tie that with uh, uh, Gregory's thesis you know um, but then simultaneous almost simultaneously in the late 70s uh, early 80s uh, uh, here in Washington DC where I'm based, the Washington Ear is uh, still is a radio reading service for folks who are blind or uh, have, no, have no capacity to read print. 
And um, uh, Margaret Fanshteel, uh, at the time Margaret Rockwell, uh, a PhD in education, blind woman who founded the Washington Ear, she and uh, a good friend of mine, Chet Avery, a blind man who's still still with us uh, in Alexandria, Virginia, they they were on a um, I'll try and keep this quick for you, but the, the, they were on a committee. Uh, an accessibility committee for Arena Stage in Washington, D.C., uh, Stellar Regional Theater. And, and and how wonderful that back in 1980, they were exploring accessibility. Uh, they had just installed an assistive listening system for folks who were deaf, or well, really for folks who were hard of hearing, because you could crank up the sound. You couldn't equalize it. You couldn't shape the sound, but you could turn up the volume and it really was just a matter of a microphone on the stage and and the the, the sound then trans being transmitted via they used an infrared system at the time uh to receivers that people would hold and you could crank up the sound well margaret and chet on this committee they thought well this is a wonderful thing for our friends who are hard of hearing what do you got for us you know <laughs> could couldn't mm -hmm. you couldn't you if it's just done with a microphone couldn't somebody hold a microphone who's oh in the back of the house or backstage something like that watching the show and actually describe action using the pauses between bits and pieces of dialogue or critical sound elements couldn't that work and i'll tell you to his credit wayne white who is the he doesn't get enough credit i don't think much he should be much more heralded he was the house manager at the time and he said Let's give it a try because they could use the same equipment, actually. And from there, Margaret went back to uh, her studio at the Washington Ear Radio Reading Service. I had already been uh, a volunteer reader uh, of the Washington Post on Sundays, as a matter of fact. Uh, and and actually, many of us as reading newspapers, we'd come up against, well, what do we do when we get to this photograph or this graphic image of some sort? Well, I always tried to describe it. I was a describer. I didn't know I was one. Uh, what What is that we were doing? Well, Margaret came back and said, you know, let's try and do this. And she got about three or four of us together. And I was fortunate to be among them. And uh, we hammered this out. Uh, and that was a, that that put us back into, into about 1981 in the summer when the uh, first professional theater production um, happened with audio description at arena stage. Um, I will say too, I mentioned Chet Avery's name because he's someone else that I think doesn't get enough credit. I talk about him in my book. Um, he, in the, in the golly, in the sixties, uh, he was uh, working at the department of education, a blind man working on uh, getting captioning going for people who are deaf. And he said to some of his superiors there, you know, what about some kind of way to describe images on television that, uh, you know, using pauses, why couldn't we do that? And that would help folks who are blind or low vision. Didn't go anywhere. Didn't go anywhere. His, he had one supervisor who said, but, Chet, please, people who are blind don't watch television. And of course, that's been proved false. It has been proved that people who are blind watch television, use television as much as anyone else. Uh, that was proved early in the, uh, uh, golly, in the 90s, I know, uh, AFB did a survey on that. Um, so Chet gets some credit there, too, for at least uh, the idea of bouncing around in the halls right. of the hallowed right. halls of the federal government. So we've talked about We've talked about 
two things that we really haven't fleshed out. So let's let's do that now. Uh-huh. So we so we've so we've got it done. First, you keep talking about the audio description project. You bet I do. <laughs> uh, so since you're the chief cook and bottle washer working there, <laughs> why don't you tell us what the audio description project is and how people can find information about it? Yeah, if I could find somebody who would wash some of the bottles, then that, that would be wonderful. But nobody, nobody, nobody has volunteered. Actually, we don't have many w- bottles to wash uh, as as the audio description project. Because we can't get together. It <laughs> it's not necessarily a reflection of our character. That's right. That's right. Paul, I doesn't you, wa- I, Paul doesn't watch his. He, he just throws them away. <laughs> no, I reuse them. <laughs> Bring me another bottle. <laughs> <laughs> Fill the same one up. There you go. Now, the audio description project, I'm, I'm, I love talking about it, indeed. It is a, an important initiative of American Council of the Blind, which, by the way, American Council of the Blind has been uh, an active advocate for description since well before uh, the audio description project. Our project's been around about 11 years now, um, so that takes us uh, into the 2000s. But, um, you know, well before then, ACB was quite active in, in lobbying for description, talking about description, getting the word bubbling out there. No doubt. They, they were really very much a part of the FCC first instituting rules uh, for description in the year 2000. Those are struck down, but it began some networks doing description. And then 10 years later, we had the CVAA, which I'll, I'm sure we'll talk about. But we will. No, the audio. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, so we will talk about CVAA, sure. but. But go on with the audio description project. Sure. Well, the audio description project began about 10, 11 years ago, and uh, much credit uh, to uh, Chris Gray and Mitch Pomerantz at the time. Uh, I had come to them with uh, this idea for a way to build advocacy for description, to get the word out to distribute information and, and if you will, make all of it more visible, right? Because, and, and I mean that literally in a way, because captioning people know about they see it on their television screens they see it in the gym they see it in the bar and of course there are twice as many people out there who are blind uh or ha- are hard of hearing than there are people who are blind or have low vision uh, i say twice as many people are deaf i should say um but in any event description is invisible you don't see it when you're at the theater or in television you have to actively invoke it you have to turn it on so we need visibility and uh thanks to the the good folks at, at the american council of the blind uh and the board at the time they they decided let's let's give this a try let's build something around this and uh, 11 years later it is uh we have become really the go-to place for information on audio description. Um, and I say go-to place, it it really, uh, uh, are, I guess, our most visible initiative. We have many, many different um, pr- uh, programs and initiatives, but the most visible probably is our website, acb.org slash ADP, uh, ably uh, managed by uh, Fred Brack, our webmaster. Uh, it really, you can go there and find out just about anything you want to know about audio description. And not only that, we tell you what's on television right now with audio description, what movies are out there, what DVDs, what's streaming with description. We have uh, a, a part of the page is there. We talk about 
every state that has performing arts description and where you can find it. Similarly, what museums in each of those various states have description. Um, lots of uh, podcasts and uh, instructional material. Boy, at one point, there, there was so much demand for how do you turn it on? How do you get it to turn on? You know, And I think we're past that now. Most people have kind of figured that out. Uh, although the FCC, by the way, are early on, the, the, the bulk of the complaints they got about description were, how do I turn it off from, from, <laughs> from sighted people who, who accidentally turned it on? So, so, um, but I, I do want to say that, um, um, you know, when, when Kim Charlson was president of ACB, uh, she asked Dan Spoon to chair our, uh, our audio description project steering committee, actually really build it up from scratch. Cause we, we didn't have a, a system of, of subcommittees and a committee to really get consumers involved and really move this along and dan did a great job pulling that together uh and then you know um well yeah kim was let's see kim was kim was the chair of the first audio description project steering committee and i like to say she got a promotion to be president so she asked dan to come on he built up this system of committees and and then dan got a promotion but he's he's very active with us uh even with all his work as president now of ACB and Kim and Carl Richardson are now the co-chairs of the audio description project steering committee and we have a great committee of people like um Oh, we got some time. I, I, I made up a list here. Re Renee Arrington Johnson is part of the steering committee. Joe Lynn Bailey Page, Sean Barrett, uh, Fred Brack, uh, Eric Bridges, of course, Denise Decker, Margie Donovan, Susan Glass, Mary Hanks, Saja Koryala. Oh, did I say I? I think I butchered her last name. Ouch. Forgive me, Saja. Uh, Doug Powell, Pat Sheehan, uh, and Claire Stanley, and Tony Stevens, and Clark Rockville from the staff, and Jeff Tom. And so, and, and some of those folks uh, chair some of our subcommittees that we have in media or performing arts museums, awards, um, 508, um, building up 508 activity. Um, so they really have, they have turned this into a, uh, an ongoing concern. We've got every other year uh, an audio description project conference that has attendance from folks all around the world will come to the United States. It's done in conjunction with the annual uh, conference of the ACB. Um, so all kinds of discussion of, uh, of audio description topics and real significant exploration of how we can make description better uh, and then during the conventions of course we always have a film night with uh, with an audio described film um, uh, last year it was parasite even with a virtual uh, conference we were able to get uh, permission license to air the audio of parasite the best picture film winner uh, with the audio description and what's interesting there paul is that it, it wasn't released in the united states with audio description so when we played yep. it, we when we played it as part of our conference, it was the first time that folks in the United States could access the Academy Award winner for Best Picture 
with description because it had been done in the UK. And I was in touch with those folks and we got the license and we did the same thing with a couple of episodes of Pick of the Litter. Uh, Claire Stanley from ACV staff was uh, featured in a couple of those episodes. Uh, and we, it, I know early on, we used to do a lot of, uh, bring a lot of videos of children's programming uh, that we would share with uh, the kids room, you know, at the ACB conferences, that sort of thing. Um, I did for six years, I produced the, the audio description for Sesame Street for the first time ever. It was uh, done with description starting in about, uh, oh, 2000 three, something like that. Uh, so I, I have a lot of those episodes. We do two um, audio description institutes, which uh, I think has become, we've done like about 18 of them now. It is the place to get trained in doing audio description. And not just for sighted uh, describers, we have people who are blind uh, signing up for the institute to learn how the ins and outs of description, and then they get work as, as consultants on the development of audio description scripts, um, golly, we have awards we do every year. We recognize folks uh, in performing arts, in museums, in research and development. We have the Margaret Fanshteel Memorial Research and Development Award. Uh, and then our top award is the Barry Levine Memorial uh, Award for Career Achievement. Barry was actually the, the, the first chair of what had been called Audio Description International. And we were talking about moving it over to ACB and and um, he left us all too soon. Uh, very, very much too soon. Very, very living. He used to run, I think, the library users. And you know about that, Paul. Um, I do know about that. Absolutely. So um, we have another uh, program, too, we, which we call, and I do want to mention this because I love to get the word out of uh, the Batty program, Batty, B-A. Actually, it should be pronounced Beatty. I keep getting that wrong because it's only one D, B-A-D-I-E. Benefits of Audio Description in Education, where we have young kids uh, from ages 17 to 21, 7 to 21, excuse me, uh, in four different age categories, three different age categories and an alternate assessment category, they write reviews of audio described videos. And what's cool there too, is we do this in conjunction with the described and captioned media program. They have about 6,000 videos. This is a program of the Department of Education funded by the Department of Education. And they, it is their mission to make sure educational media is available with captions and with description. So we work with our friends at DCMP. We get, we get reviews from kids uh, in audio format, in Braille, uh, electronically, of course, and we give awards to uh, the winners in each of those categories and then a grand prize award winner. And, and sometimes we're fortunate enough to have our top winner actually bring their, uh, recite their essay at the ACP conference or the mid-year meeting, something like that. And they get cash awards. Uh, the teachers of the first prize winners uh, get, get cash awards as well. Grand prize winner uh, gets a, 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 typically we've given them a iPad mini. Uh, so we've had great success with that. Um, few other things to mention, really, the uh, audio description. We, we actually put together a guideline of guidelines on how to do audio description, which is on our, our website. And a lot of that work uh, was a part of what I did for my PhD dissertation. Um, and I contributed to that. And that became a book, The Visual Made Verbal, a comprehensive guide and training manual to the uh, history and applications 
of uh, audio description. Uh, and it has been really quite successful. It's available uh, from uh, ACB's mini mall, but it's also, by the way, available in Braille from the Library of Congress as an audio format in uh, screen reader formats from the mini mall. And I'm proud to say it's uh, been translated in Portuguese, Polish, and Russian. Um, we have a Spanish version coming out uh, late, uh, probably mid next year, in conjunction with the World Blind Union. Um, and then um, Greek and Chinese versions are under development. So, and this was all published by ACB uh, initially in 2014. So it's we're really getting the, the name of ACB and, and the Audio Description Project out of, around the world. It's um, also available on Bookshare, I think. It is. That's thank you. Yes, it is. Uh, uh, I believe on Bard as well. Uh, it is on Bard. Mistaken. Yes. Thank you for mentioning that. Um, and then. Um, Something else that I've felt strongly about for a number of years, and ACB and the ADP is making this happen, we're working with an, another group, uh, talk about acronyms here, uh, ACVREP is the Academy for the Certification of Vision and Rehabilitation Education Professionals. They are the good folks that certify O&M specialists and others, and, and they have taken it on to develop a, a legally defensible certification program for audio describers because we we're no longer in our our infancy we're maybe in our adolescence or something but we're we're at a point now where describers need to be recognized as professionals every bit as much as sign language interpreters uh and captioners and such so i think right. we're well on our way towards that certification it'll be another year or so uh, but we'll so get let's there. let's stop right there sure with the word describer oh yeah um uh, by describer a lot of people think you, you you're talking about the guy who actually uh presents the audio description on a movie or who, who voices presents, it or, or yeah or, or or who does the audio description in in a in a theater or in a museum right. but that is not what a describer is yes well, you're, you're, that's an excellent point. Um, uh, many people, you know, our good friend Roy Samuelson is such a marvelous advocate for audio description. He's a leading voice talent for audio description scripts that are uh, done for movies. He's not a describer, and he's the first person to say that, you know, he voices description that a trained audio describer, a writer, um, although it's not just any kind of creative writing. It's a special skill that we, we train people for at our Audio Description Institute. Um, but Roy is a, a trained voice talent and specializes in voicing description. Um, back when I, I started the um, Describe Media program for uh, the National Captioning Institute, that's where I did Sesame Street programs. And uh, I voiced much of what came out of uh, that effort. Um, but then I had a crew of describers who were writing the scripts and I wrote some of them as well. So there's a distinction to be made for media, especially. But I hasten to add that, you know, this all began, as I mentioned earlier, in performing arts. And almost always in performing arts, the individual that develops the description, and it may or may not be a, a written out script, but the individual that develops the description almost always is the voicer 
of right. the description. So there is that uh, difference, if you will, uh, or distinction to be made in, in performing arts. Yeah, typically the describer is the voicer. So the voicer is the describer, if you will. But they're, but they're, but they're very separate skills, you would argue, I think. Oh, yes. Yes, that's right. Uh, you know, my background uh, going back to high school days is in theater and media. I've been a member of Actors' Equity for over 40 years and uh, for over 40 years, a member of the American Federation of Television and Radio Artists. So I had a lot of background using my voice. And that's what drew me to, to be a, a volunteer voice talent for the Washington Ear. Uh, I wanted to use my voice uh, in a way that, you know, not just doing a lot of commercials. Or, or whatever, but actually could help some folks in, in different ways. So that's part of my background. And I, I do that. And I, I, I have worked to be, become a, a writer of description and learning all the time about that from all the folks around the world now that I, I've trained and worked with in description over 60 countries now. Um, but then there's also, I, I want to mention the third element there that's just as important. And for media, there's the audio editing there's the audio editing of it all because you can have a, a script that's marvelously written, uh, voiced marvelously, and then the editing is done so you can't hear it. Oh, my God, that's that's just terrible. Uh, or the editing is done so it overpowers. Exactly, uh, which is equally as, as uh, uh, distracting. And actually, and, I've, and, probably, I've probably had that problem more than I've had the other. Yeah, that's right, um, that's right. Particularly, uh, particularly on on. on television audio description where that's right where where it seems to me that people crank the audio description that's track right. up it depends on the producer of, of yeah. the description and and how skilled they are by the way uh, some of the most skilled audio editors that i know for television description and movies are people who are totally blind yeah uh, same same for voice talents Roy Samuelson happens to be cited, but uh, uh, I know any number of voice talents who are blind. Um, and then, of course, as I, I think I mentioned earlier, people who are uh, consumers of description can learn about description and be marvelous consultants, like like Paul Edwards was for me at a museum, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was, ago. It, it was an interesting experience. It's a, <laughs> it, it was an Indian museum up in That's Tallahassee. Right. Um, and I was invited up and, and did the complete tour with Joel. Um, prior to going, um, I saw Joel's script. And sure. um, because he had actually developed what, what amounted to a, I guess you'd call it a first draft of right. an audio description script. That's right. Um, and so we essentially used that as uh, as as the guide. But then um, we we spent a good deal of time there um, after after the 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 meeting with the museum was over. Yeah. Um, talking about changes that I recommended, and then once once I got back home, I actually took a look at his script and made whole bunch of changes which yeah. i sent back to joel thank you very much paul <laughs> and um, and and a lot of those changes joel joel was kind enough to accept sure um, no but, and, and, yeah but what it, it indicates is that it, it really is a process where the input of the individual who is going to be utilizing the audio description 
is an important component in developing an effective audio description project. Absolutely. Absolutely. There is, you know, people say, well, what do you mean? You want a person who's blind doing the description? How can they do it? They can't see. Well, <laughs> duh. Uh, okay, fine. Well, first of all, blindness is a, a, a broad spectrum. There are people who are totally blind, no light perception, but probably the majority of our users of description are folks with low vision. In any event, somebody who's totally blind, somebody who's blind, congenitally blind, um, can be an expert consultant description because it's all about words. It's about language. Some of the best writers I know are folks who are totally blind. They know about language. And that's where the, that's the most valuable part of the consultancy that I get by, by having you, Paul, or, or any num number of the other folks I've worked with, uh, go through some of these scripts with me. Um, they know about language and they know it. They know it also from the perspective of what conjures an image in the mind's eye, if you will, mm -hmm. the perspective of a, a person who's blind or has low vision. That's what's so valuable. And, uh, I, and there, you know, I don't know that there are too many full-time jobs uh, for a consultant and uh, a consumer consultant, but certainly as a freelancer, that kind of work is available. I know actually my good friend in Germany, Bernd Benecke, who does about he's in charge of about at least half the description that happens on German broadcasts. He has full-time staff who are uh, blind, who are consultants on every script that they produce. So uh, would that we had more of that in, in the United States. So is it going to be harder post COVID do you think to get audio description? Oh, golly. Um, I, you know, I don't think so. Um, really because listen movies are not going to go away there will be a post-covid time um streaming is more popular than ever and even though there's no legal requirement for description on streaming services they're doing it they're they're getting on board because i think largely because of the work acb and the audio description project has done in advocating for it you know uh, american foundation for the blind says there are over 26 million people in these united states who are either blind or quote have trouble seeing even with correction unquote well that's eight percent of the population that's that's huge and they have family they have friends um plus there are all kinds of benefits if you if you if description is written well it 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 allows a sighted person to to glean things that they just wouldn't ever really observe sighted people see you know they they don't observe and and heck they could be in the kitchen making a sandwich while the tv's on in the living room you know they don't miss a beat if they have the description on and if it's written well succinctly and sparingly it, it, it's not distracting uh it really can be helpful to the sighted viewer just depends you have to get used to it perhaps and that sort of thing but um um yeah there it's it's really something that I think is, is going to grow. Uh, and, and I think it's growing even now during the COVID times and post-COVID times. Listen, because of COVID, the ACB did their convention virtually. And a, a byproduct of that was that we had a golly, several days worth of audio described tours from museums that we aired as part of the conference on ACB radio. And I'm told that was like one of the most popular uh, uh, items, uh, elements of the conference. People really enjoyed that. They could go to the White House 
ACB, by the way, part of the audio description project, you know, one of our initiatives was to develop the, the first ever audio described tour of the White House. And that was in place throughout Mr. Obama's second term. Unfortunately, it um, it has not uh, been in place during Mr. Trump's administration, but hopefully it'll come back. But we had the the audio uh by the way voiced by eddie walker i wrote it but it was voiced by eddie walker who was a uh, we lost him several years ago but one of the most talented uh radio announcers uh, in the country uh willard scott's partner uh for many many years uh totally blind he voiced the tour of the white house so all of these tours i'm not sure we would have done that if we wouldn't have thought to do that if if we uh, had had the conference as usual with everybody facing each other. And, and I think, uh, you know, next July, the conference will be virtual again. So we'll have more tours. Uh, and I think you mentioned to me, Paul, the Pennsylvania council, Tom, I worked with Tom Bergender there to, to make sure their conference had some tours uh, recorded audio described tours. I had done uh, the tour of the flight 93 Memorial and the Wills house at Gettysburg and uh, the Franklin house in Philadelphia. So, they had those that they played during their conference. So, um, you know, that's kind of a byproduct of having to do everything virtually. So let's spend a little bit of time talking about media, which will lead us to CVAA. Um, it's my understanding that really the first entity to do audio description on television were was public broadcasting. Correct. Um, Correct. And... and uh, one of the frustrating things for for me, and I and I suppose for other folks, I think I know even, what you're going to say. <laughs> you are. <laughs> Go is, ahead. <laughs> is is the first and and probably the the entity that deserves the most credit for for making audio description uh, available for television programs is the hardest place to find information about yep. what's available. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, boy, <laughs> this is something uh, I've personally investigated. We've worked on. Um, boy, Carl Richardson, who's our co-chair of our uh, audio description project steering committee, we, he and I have talked about this any number of times. BBS isn't required to do it, uh, but indeed, WGBH were the they were the first uh, folks to do description on broadcast television. There was a little bit of being done right around the same time in Japan, of all places, mm -hmm. um, but. In fact, what the good folks at WGBH did, they they heard about our experiment uh, with Arena Stage in Washington uh, through the Washington Ear, and they contacted Margaret, um, who by that time, 1985 or so, had married her. Her her principal volunteer at the Ear became her husband. I guess that's that's the ultimate volunteer, isn't that yeah. right? So Cody, Cody Fansteel. That's yep. right. So Margaret Rockwell became Margaret Fansteel. Uh, WGBH, uh, Barry Cronin and Lori Everett, um, just great, great folks, came to us and said, could could you pilot something for us? So I wrote, uh, and, and others at the ear, you know, I wrote three of the very first programs and voiced uh, three of the very first programs that went out on the air uh, for American Playhouse and for the Mystery Series. And it was a success, and they ran with it. Um, WGBH and uh, uh, and their Center for Media uh, Accessibility, uh, I'm, I'm botching the name there, but um, boy, they ran with it. And then later under Larry Goldberg, uh, it grew and grew. The problem with knowing what's on with description on PBS, and you know, like I said, you can go to our website and find out what's on with description. Well, 
unfortunately, we're not going to list what's on on PBS with description because public broadcasting system is not thought of. They are not. If you talk to them directly, they're not a network the way CBS, NBC, ABC, Fox. They don't have affiliates. They have member stations that are all very independent. And in order to know what's on when, you would have to go to every public broadcasting station and get their individual schedules. Uh, I've worked with PBS trying to, is there any sort of way we could computerize this? And we haven't figured it out yet. Yeah, um, I, I, I think what I would like to, what, what, what I would like to see the Audio Description Project do is to simply list those programs that they know about on PBS that have audio description. Well, because yeah. that, that would enable other people like me yeah. um, to, yeah. to contact, uh, you know, I have two public television stations in, in, in Miami. Sure. And to contact them and say, um, why aren't you running the audio description tracks for these programs? Yep. Yep. Well, that's something we have thought about as well, but here too, PBS doesn't isn't the direct producer of the work that airs on PBS. I, I think if 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 they sure, are, but, but maybe but very rarely. The, yeah, the, but it's by produced, the same token, Joel. Yeah, I mean the fact is that that stuff appears on ABC and Fox that we only find out about when it actually appears there, uh-huh, uh-huh. Be, because we don't always have we don't always have prior information about exactly what they're going to do. Un- un- well, until yeah. the show begins to air with audio description and then it gets added to our list. Hopefully we're, we're in a better shape with those networks, but yeah. with PBS, even to find out the names of the programs, uh, you know, they're being produced by 12, 15 production companies who may or may not decide they want to add description because they don't have to. PBS does not have to air with description. Um, and even just keeping track of that it would be a handful. Um, but maybe that is something we could explore, at least to get the names of programs out there. That, right. And whether or not, though, see, the problem is that whether or not it airs in Miami with description could be completely different with with respect to Philadelphia or Boston. Yep, or get all of that. Get, get all of that. But, but uh, boy. If, if, yep. if one knows that there is an audio description track, yep. then one has the capacity to advocate. Yep. No, that's true. That's true. PBS, you know, I, I must say, and WGBH in particular, and Carl Richardson, by the way, you know, used to work with them uh, to to build their description efforts. Uh-huh. They they were they ran with it, as I say, they had um, a whole business in in putting out VHS tapes with description. Remember those boys and girls? V- I have. I have probably two hundred of them sitting in my house I, as we speak. They, I do too. Uh, I do too. And 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 then DVDs, of course. I have a whole dozens of yep. those with description, yep. and and those are going uh, by the by, of course. But D- GBH had those out there. They had a whole catalog. You could order them by mail, and, and ultimately, it just didn't. It wasn't uh, profitable for them, and they had to let that go. Um, but uh, hopefully, now at least. Um, on the audio description project website you can at least find out what's streaming with description and then click it on you can yeah, and, also and, and, and we we're list, clearly in, yeah. in a much better position than we've oh, ever yeah. been in, in terms oh, of audio no description question. 
and we list the, all the yeah. you know there are we have at least what some four thousand dvds now that we know have description if it's listed mm-hmm. on our website we know it's got a described uh, track and by the way you can we list it you click on it and it goes right away to an Amazon page where you can buy it. You can't rent it, but and, you can and, buy it. And also it. benefit ACB. Exactly. We're part of the <laughs> – you knew where I was going with that, Paul. We're part of Amazon Associates. So uh, if you buy a DVD while you're on that link, ACB gets a nickel or whatever it is. And, in fact, we encourage people every year at the conference, I'll tell people, you know, go there, buy a DVD or two. And while you're on the website, uh, go buy a refrigerator or something because we we get a proportion of that sale as well. So, um, you know, just buy everything. Uh, If you're going to go to Amazon, go through the audio description project and buy whatever you'd like. Gotcha. uh, yeah, but we, we, all, right, all so, those DVDs are listed, and and so you you can have access that way. So we have we have now reached the tenth anniversary of a thing called the CVAA. Yes, sir. Um, and because we're sort of running short of time, let me let me summarize a little. Um, in in two thousand, the first effort was made to codify. Um, audio description on television and and that was done by the federal communications commission who made the mistaken assumption that if captioning was authorized surely it's not such a stretch to think that audio description ought to be (laughs) as well um well they were proven wrong correct um and and we won't go through the torturous history of that but the bottom line was eventually we got to the stage where with the CVAA in 2010, um, we reestablished the right to audio description, but a right to audio description that produced just a minuscule quantity oh, yeah. of audio description yeah. yes. as compared to the range of programming that's out there. That's right. And only available in very limited places. And yeah. um, really didn't require very much. And we've gradually moved a little bit further ahead to the place where um, uh, the the hundred largest markets now are covered. And I think we're, what, at 67 hours every? Well, yeah, it comes out to about seven hours per week. Um, that's the number I use because I think it's kind of easier to grasp. Right. Seven hours and per week for the only right. though the top nine broadcasters, the top uh, terrestrial broadcasters, ABC, CBS, uh, NBC, and Fox, and then the top, whichever of the top five um, uh, cable networks, uh, which right. Uh, which right now are uh, USA, uh, HGTV, TBS, uh, Discovery, and History. So yep. it's only nine networks and only seven hours per week. Right. So it, 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 do we have any idea how many hours of captioning are being produced? Oh, <laughs> there's just no comparison uh, because uh, virtually 100% of broadcasts in the United States must be captioned. You know, there are thousands upon thousands of hours of broadcasts that go out from hundreds of networks uh, 24 hours a day. So when you say, well, you only have to do description for nine hours, 
or rather seven hours per week and only nine. And as you said, it only has to be aired in, I don't think it's even a hundred. I think it went up to, did it go from 60 to a hundred? Um, you might be right about that. I'm, I'm mixing up my numbers here, but uh, still that's only anyway, hundred it, it, of it's, metropolitan areas. Right. It's, it's, you know. it's, it's the largest metropolitan areas where it's, that's right. where it's required, that's right. but we should, we should say to be fair, um, that that there there's actually a lot wider dispersion of audio description than that because yeah um, a, a lot of a lot of local areas even though they aren't part of the 100 largest markets actually do pass through audio description so that's right that's we, true. we need to thank them and and, and appreciate the fact no that question. they don't have to do it no question but the fact that um, and and I'm so thrilled that a person who's deaf, has access to any television program, uh, that's to be applauded. But why shouldn't a person who's blind have that same kind of access to uh, more meaningful understanding and appreciation of every program on television? So, Dr. Snyder, why don't we? Well, I think it comes down to, um, first, some numbers. Uh, There are are probably twice as many people in the world who are deaf or hard of hearing than there are people who are blind or have low vision. Um, I'm not sure I believe those stats. That's that's what I've always heard. I haven't checked that recently, but that's what I've often um, heard about. So there's some numbers going on there. Fair enough. Um, Fair enough. But but, but if if your number is correct, if your number is correct, that there are 26 million of us who are who are sight impaired. Yeah. Um, it, it, it seems to me that 8% of the population is yep. a pretty solid chunk of numbers. Absolutely, it is. So it and doesn't seem to me that that's, that that's a viable explanation. Well, you're right. And, you know, you mentioned the CVAA, which, by the way, for your listeners, is the 21st Century Communications and Video Accessibility Act. Uh, it put in place in law what the FCC tried to mandate in 2000, and that was struck down in the courts, well, in 2010, it was put in place it, by law, signed by President Obama, and took effect in 2012. Um, it, we, are, we are at the place now, and uh, I've, uh, let's see, uh, let's right now, Tony Stevens and Carl Richardson and uh, Paul Schrader and Everett Bacon, uh, a number of advocates for description or sit on the Disability Advisory Co- Committee of the FCC, and I'm, I'm on there too. And I'll tell you, they're going to convene a new uh, Disability Advisory Committee, DAC, if you will, in the next term. And I think one of our top priorities has got to be uh, thinking about a CVAA 2.0, whereby not only is it you got to do description, but that's got to increase by a certain percentage every year and that's how captioning got to 100 percent. so we, and we didn't have that in our law and we need to have that in there so audio description for i, I and, and rick i think we're about two questions away from um hand raising here oh, um, sure. but um Audio description for for broadcast television is complicated because of the the range of ways that broadcast television That's is right. provided 
Um, it's 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 provided through antennas and and yeah. and broadcast, though the broadcasting isn't the same as it was when we grew up because they've <laughs> because they've changed uh, the mode of transmission. That's right. So old TVs won't work anymore. <laughs> um, but but I would guess that probably the majority of folks are receiving their broadcast television either by cable or satellite now. That's right. Uh, or they, um, they've cut the cord and, and they're just doing streaming. Uh, right. And, and streaming, just to be clear to everybody, means you're using some kind of a device, right. whether it's a, an, an Apple TV or whether, it's a, or, or whether it is a computer, um, to actually take the information directly from the Internet without using a satellite and without, without, using, um, without using cable. So, but, but the bottom line is that makes our job more difficult, more complicated, it seems to me, um, because, because you not only have to be concerned, well, you not only have to be concerned about whether it's, it's, it's being throughput by the broadcaster, but you then have to be concerned as to whether the cable provider or the streamer or, or the satellite provider is, is, is actually um, passing through the audio description. It's, it is very complicated, and uh, uh, you're very wise to be aware of that and make those points, actually. Um, not only that, um, what uh, WGBH took advantage of in 1985 when they started playing with this is they knew that there was a secondary audio program, SAP channel. A lot of people think of it as the Spanish audio program because that's what it was used for it was used to broadcast on a separate uh, audio channel spanish translation and um barry cronin folks at wgbh thought this could be used for description you know back at the ear we were having success with theater we thought well maybe we could do this on television why don't we why don't we simulcast description through the washington ears radio signal uh when a program is on on television well technically that just doesn't work and we found that out very quickly but yeah, we there can, are we can see places up. who tried that Exactly. And we can sync up, though, uh, via the SAP. But there's only that one audio channel. There's only that one audio stream. And Spanish translation is out there on television. And if it is out there for a program, you're not going to get description. And if you're going to get description, you're not going to get Spanish translation. So one of the other things we've worked toward is finding a way with all those formats that you mentioned, Paul, streaming and and, uh, satellite and cable and over the air, is there some way to ensure that not only a second secondary audio program channel is available with digital broadcasts, you could have up to a dozen. So you could have right. Spanish description, Spanish with description, you know, and, and on and on and on. Um, and we'll get there. We'll get there. I think that needs to be part of a CVAA uh, 2.0 as well. Um, so I'm, I'm optimistic about that. Uh, we haven't be, been able to make it happen yet, but we will. Excellent. Yeah. So I think we should open this up and, and see if folks have questions for our registered expert, Dr. Joel <laughs> Snyder. So, Rick, Please. do we have any hands? Yeah, gents, say hi to Carl Richardson. Oh, and my goodness. Brian Charlson. We know both of them. <laughs> we know them. Hello, Hello gentlemen. 
Hello. Can I, hey, Carl. I? I just want to make a few minor corrections to things that I said before, if you don't uh -oh. mind. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. So, yes. Yeah, shoot, shoot us down, Carl. No, no. I'm just, <laughs> you, were, you were right. It's just clarifying a few minor points. One, sure. Go, go for it, sir. Um, right now, audio description is available in the top 60 markets. And starting in January, they will expand 10 markets a year over the next four years. So there in you go. four years, it'll be the top 100 market. I don't That's... know why they're stopping at 100 because they're 250 yep. plus. But, but Thank the you ironic... for that correction. Yeah, I, I thought that was right. But the ironic thing is they're required to pass emergency notifications through the chat, FAP channel, and that's all markets. So if they have that ability, in theory, all markets also that's have right. the ability to play audio description. Excellent so point. And as far as PBF, I will tell you that the media committee has asked Joel and the audio description project to make that a priority for next year. So yeah. that'll be something the audio description project will be working on. I, along with a number of others, have tried to reach out to PBS many times. And to be honest, we haven't gotten anywhere, but we're not giving up. So Bless you, my child. So, and the third <laughs> thing is I wanted to announce, and then Brian and I can plug our show. Oh, but, yes. <laughs> but I wanted to announce a recent success that the audio description project, which Brian was involved in, so maybe I'll hold back and let him announce the recent success <laughs> on that. I'll let Brian announce that one. All right, Brian. So I think what Carl's referring to is changes at HBO. I specifically think HBO, HBO Max. Max. That's and right. that is through a process that ACB has been very uh, effective with called structured negotiation. Um, the American Council of Blind and Bay State Council of Blind, that's the Massachusetts affiliate, Tim and myself as individuals uh, reached out through a demand letter to HBO, uh, basically saying, you know that you're in violation of certain regulations relative to accessibility. What do you say we work together to solve the problem rather than dragging it out in some form of legal battle yep. called the demand letter? And they responded quite quickly saying, absolutely, we'd like to do this. When can we start? Now, it's, as it turned out, this started before the pandemic but worked its way through the pandemic yeah. uh, with all the changes and resources and priorities, et cetera, et cetera. But we did come to a settlement and we sent out a press release about that. Let me think, when was it? Yesterday. Oh, just, just, yeah, exactly. Just yesterday, a press release. And some of the interesting that, things in this. Last week, yeah. Brian. Yeah. Was it last, last Monday? Well, it was last, last week Monday. from ACB. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. So anyway, the long and the short of it is there's several things that are interesting in this particular settlement because each one is different. Remember, we have a settlement with Netflix and one with Hulu, and then we have a number of other streaming services that uh, had a come to Jesus moment without <laughs> having to go through the process. Uh, and they did some of the best job of it, by the way. So, you know, there's that whole thing of uh, if they're doing it, maybe we ought to be doing it too. Yeah. But HBO has agreed to make available 1,500 hours of content through HBO Max with, uh, in the first, I uh, believe it was 16 months of the agreement. Now, the agreement, or rather 16 months of 
them going live. And HBO Max has been alive for a couple of months now. So, right. So you are talking about very soon, within the next five months or so, five to eight months, we're going to see 1,500 hours on HBO Max. 12 months later, 3,000. 12 mm. months after that, 6,000 yep. hours of content. That's a significant player in our space. No question. Uh, and one of the great things about this is they've kind of taken a lesson from the Disney Plus experience. Yeah. That is, let's not just talk about what you're going to do on future content. Let's talk about what you can do with content you already have. Sure. In other words, going backward in time. There are a and lot building, of shows. Building on what ACB did with Netflix. Uh, ACB has been, has been so instrumental in making this happen on a number of different broadcasters and streamers. Exactly. Going to look at what you already own and making that accessible. There's a number of, of things that we would have loved to have seen with audio description, right, Carl? What was your one that you're hoping for? <laughs> well, Band of Brothers. Yeah, and then and then text in the city. See if I get any ideas. <laughs> I'll tell you. I don't Megan think you, you need that. them, Carl. <laughs> anyway, so well, we, maybe I'm hoping my wife will watch it with me, and she'll get the ideas. There you, there you go. The ideas. There we Carl, go. how many times so, have you watched James Bond described? Oh, I can't even count. <laughs> but my wife won't let me be a misogynist, so you know. <laughs> so we. We have some great opportunities, and it's changing the complexion of audio description in a number of ways. One is there, there can be a legal argument to say that audio description requirements from the FCC do not apply to streaming services, except in, in unique circumstances, right. almost on a show-by-show -show basis. Okay? And we have not run into that argument when we've talked to these companies, it's been how we can do it and how yeah. quickly we can do it and how much we can do it, but not so should be or just, shouldn't just to, just to be clear, we, we have, we have a lot from Amazon prime. We have a lot from Disney plus we have, uh, we have Apple HBO plus. max. Now we have Apple plus, yep. uh, which is interesting. Hulu. Um, and, and, and I guess, uh, you know, I don't know enough about Hulu. So, um, but uh, I, I think what's amazing is that all of these streaming services essentially, and, and we didn't say Netflix, um, which no, we really need to say. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but, uh, in my list, I didn't. No, no. Um, right. so, so, I mean, the, the truth is we have, we have really an immense availability of, uh, of streamed material from folks who probably, if they'd wanted to be uh, really tough about it, um, didn't have to agree. Right. That's the other right. thing that fascinated me, if you don't mind me jumping in, I'm sorry. Please go. The other, no, go. The other thing that's fascinating is, unlike broadcasting cable, they know exactly who's turning on the audio description and how many minutes it's being watched and how it's being consumed and what shows it's being activated on. And I'm convinced they wouldn't be doing it unless they had the numbers to back it up because they know yep. exactly who's watching it. Yeah. Yep. Interesting. Yeah. And they're yeah, not mandated. That, that plays a part. 
And and being exactly. native on the internet, guys, doesn't that give them a technology advantage too? Isn't it easier? Absolutely, they're not held to legacy equipment like cable is. Exactly, okay. and you know, you said earlier, Paul, in a comment that um, right, you felt that it's becoming harder to advocate for things because there's so much of it, and it's so diverse in how it's presented. But I will tell you, having been on that original effort of the FCC to put together the regulations, which eventually were the implementation of the CVAA, that we had a devil of a time trying to come up with, if you will, what the lowest common denominator yeah. of accessibility could be yeah. to rope in all of those who, who um, should be. And one of the biggest difficulties was the service that you use, that is satellite service. Exactly right. It was the biggest, biggest problem because they had a true limitation based on the technology they were using. They would have had to uh, double, just about double the amount of content they bounced off those satellites to make it possible to do audio description on everything the way that we would have held out for had that not been a limitation. Right. We also had the difficulties of describing what accessible meant uh, when it came to things. So, you know, uh, a button or an icon or any number of things that is equivalent to, but not the same as, and not right. limited. In the, I mean, it went on and oh, on boy. in this this language. So, what's currently happening is, in a way, easier from a technology point of view, but harder in that we can't go at all the streaming services simultaneously. It takes yeah. legal time and consumer, I really think it takes Effort. a lot of sure. consumer stick to sure it does. to make this pull off. So we have a new service that's available from CVS who I think in large part because of our relationship with Tom Soselsky at Comcast. Is that CBS? Have I got the right network? I Public also no. those letters. Well, no, you're you talking don't. about NBC yeah, right. Peacock. <laughs> yeah, it's right. Peacock. I'm going for it. That's Tom Lukowski. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, Tom Lukowski. Right. Anyway, so it's Peacock that I'm talking about. That's right. Is it accessible upon launch? No. 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 Was it their intent to be accessible upon launch? Yes. But they were launching in the pandemic. And as a result, they uh, suddenly found themselves with insufficient resources to pull it off when they wanted to pull it off. They are still actively engaged in it, but they outsourced an awful lot of what they had to do. And yep. the entities they were outsourcing to just didn't have the, can I use the term, bandwidth <laughs> to uh, pull it off in the time frame that they had an agreement with uh, with Comcast to do. So it's a it's for the most part a wonderful thing. I yeah. have a question for Joel. Uh huh. Are you ready for this, Joel? I'm well, ready. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Just just, just, be just sure. before Go just ahead. before you ask him your question, <laughs> you two uh, you two have one minute to promote picture this. There, I was just going to say that. 
Yes. Oh, and, and, and gents, I'll let you know that there's a lot of people queued up. People ask, okay, yep, good. I just have one question. No, let's do oh. a promotion. Please. I'll make that question. I want to get my plug in. Go ahead, Brian. No, no, I'm giving it over to Carl, my co-host. All right, so Brian and I are working together on doing a podcast that comes out about twice a month called Picture This. And it's all about the world of audio description and accessible entertainment. We recently just posted one uh, on HBO Mac. We posted one on audio description and the Democratic National Convention. Uh, we talked to Will Shell from the FCC and about the CVAA. And we have other exciting topics coming up. So please go to the podcaster of your choice. Look for Picture This with Brian Charlson or Carl Richardson because there's several picture this about photography podcast. So if you type in picture this with our name, it should come up and we appreciate your support. And we would also love any advice, feedback, uh, voice memo, anything. And you can do that by emailing us at picture this audio description at gmail.com. That's picture this at, no, wait a minute, picture this audio description at gmail.com. Thank you. And the upcoming right. program. The upcoming program, or one of the upcoming programs, uh, Carl, isn't that right? It will be all about our, our Beatty program, uh, where we have blind kids writing reviews of description. Yeah, that should be out next week sometime. Fantastic. Yes. Here we go. Brian, your so question. Here's my question. Uh, directed at Joel specifically. We have this incredible boom of number of shows. And mind you, the audience, but the what kinds of things are available. I don't have enough hours in the day to watch <laughs> what I'm watching. Uh, so I have this terrible problem of having to pick and choose what I'm going to watch because I simply can't do it all. Sure. But the other issue is that's a quantity issue. There's also the issue of quality. Mm-hmm. How can we as a community impact not only the quantity of audio description, but the quality of audio description. Oh boy, you're singing my song, uh, Brian, uh, and it's a song that your your uh, uh, your bride sings as well. Uh, she talks all the time about it's not just a matter of give us some words that we can listen to. Uh, people that are uh, supportive of captioning, you know, captioning when it was first implemented legally, it was just a matter of putting some words up on the screen that people could see. You know, and and they weren't always accurate, and they weren't uh, they weren't they didn't make sense sometimes even. And deaf you know, people weren't always critical either. Th- well, that's right. Um, but they a lot of deaf people are critical of it, and and more and more folks who are blind are beginning to demand quality in description. I've gone to theaters sometimes, and I've I've been sitting in the audience listening to some description, and and I could see blind people listening to the description pull the earbud out of their ear and put it aside because the description was distracting. It was too much. It didn't enhance the way it should. It should fade into the background really and, and be, be an assist, but not take over. And too much description is not done well. It's the writing of the description, the voicing of it, and as we mentioned earlier, the uh, the audio editing of it. You're, you're and, doing lots of description, Joel, but what yeah. can the blind community do? Well, there you That's go. That's what Brian asked. So, so here, That's right. here's, and, here's my question. We sure. can name names as, as consumers. Sure. I understand how professionals have to be careful about what they say about one another. That's right. 
and that kind of thing. But we as consumers aren't limited to that. But we don't have a place to voice that question. I actually do not watch Chicago PD. Mm-hmm. I watch or Chicago you know, Fire or I Chicago watch Chicago Med. Fire and Chicago Med, but not Chicago PD, because the person who voices Chicago PD is like nails on a chalkboard. Ouch! And I've never found anybody who feels otherwise. Yeah, yeah. But well, how can we? You're right. That? You're right. And I think we do that sometimes. Boy, just on our list serve, uh, our discussion list of the audio description project. Plus, there's another one on Facebook called Audio Description Discussion, and you get those comments all the time. And something else we're we're trying to have be sort of a de rigueur is that we we know who provides the description at the end of the program description provided by xyz then you know that not only do you contact the producer nbc cbs whoever it is you can go right to the producer and say whoa 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 of the description itself and say this didn't work this is not quite right i didn't understand this that's something you can do certainly plus um you know Kim is the chair of our uh, uh, our ACV REP, our certification effort. That whole point, the whole point of that is to ensure that the writers of description, at least first and foremost, have been through training, have experience. They are certified because it's a professional activity. Um, Pat Sheehan, who works in the federal government, has said the government needs to be able to look to some uh, certification, basically, in order to hire the best describers. And, and but, the but even if the audio description is well written, Right. If it's if it's badly voiced, that's right. Um, it's or it's still edited. cruddy. So the question, no question is, so the question is, um, Kim's Kim's certification won't relate to voicers, will it? Well, not not initially, probably not ultimately, because it's a it's tied up with unions, uh, regulations, and all of that kind of thing. Um, you're right, but it's it, it's all of a piece. If we make the point, get the point out there that we're not just interested in hearing some words, we're interested in quality description, and that means the writing, yeah. it means the voicing hey, and the editing. Hey, gents, and, I, I, uh, I think you just set up the perfect segue for Roy Samuelson. Oh, wonderful! Oh, excellent. Hey, sir. Hey, guys. Uh, hey, Roy. Congrats on the on you and to ACB and to ADP for all the HBO Max and developing that relationship. And oh, yeah. That picture, this podcast is excellent. Um, it is. Related to Brian's comment about uh, uh, the quality that for the second the, year in a row. The nails the- on the chalkboard. <laughs> <laughs> that comment. <laughs> I'm going to go on the opposite direction. Good, good. <laughs> I the know what you're going to say. The second year in a row, a voice talent was recognized for their voice contribution on the Sovas Awards. It's the Society of Voice Arts and Sciences, a nomination. And seeing how the writing, the voicing, the directing, editing, and quality control advising is all becoming part of the conversation. Beyond the need of having more audio description, what are you specifically, Joel, most excited about where audio description is headed and, and your contribution to that? Well, I'm so glad you mentioned that, that um, uh, Roy, because uh, I'm in the process of getting some material out to go out on the, the various listservs and 
about Therese McLaughlin, who is the woman that has been nominated for an award for her voicing of audio description. I, I'm going to take a little bit of credit only because she is a graduate of ACB's Audio Description Institute. Nice. Um, so I have to say, and Roy, you know this, uh, someone who's voicing description, if they know about the crafting of the description of the language they're going to be that much better of voice talent and that i think is part of what therese incorporates in her work and i know it's part of what you incorporate in all the the film description that you voice as far as your question you know i think i am looking forward to a cvaa 2.0 that will mandate in increasing percentages per year the amount of description that's happening on television but also i'm looking forward to more consumers of description demanding description in different formats that's why we have description in movie theaters now because the department of justice had enough complaints about it, about movies not being accessible in the movie theater, you know, museums, same thing. There was one person in particular uh, who complained about a museum in Washington, D.C. not being accessible and a lawsuit was uh, enjoined and they had description developed within the year, you know, and nowadays the museums out there, performing arts spaces and movie theaters are aware of that and and thus, they the, it went back to the studios because the the, the individual movie theater they're not going to produce the description for all the films that they 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 screen. No, it goes back to the studios, and that's why now uh, we've had just about every year. I think all but one of the best picture nominees have all been described, and that's just been in the last ten years or so. Although. Joe, we have some exciting news on that front, too. We've been promised by the Academy of Motion Pictures right. that in 2022, all the best picture nominations will have audio distribution. They will have to be. Yeah, exactly, the, to, in order to be considered. And, That's uh, excellent. Absolutely. And, and Mr. That also, Samuelson. That also comes from AC, ADP and the ACB as right. well. Uh, and our Mr. Work Samuelson, with if you're still there. What, what you primarily do is voice audio description and, uh, you, you know, you are the voice talent that actually reads it. So how would you respond to Brian's question about what the blind community ought to do if the, if the audio description script is fine, but the voice sucks? <laughs> uh, I think you're making that distinction. I think that as audio description is evolving in the professional sense, that excellence and quality is the focus, that these different roles are being delineated. One of the uh, side benefits of that is that uh, blind talents can be involved in the voicing of this work. That there's such right, an association right. writing and voicing together that it's been an unintentional barrier that I think is now being blown open. Yep. Uh, so specifically with that, I think I see uh, a lot of, you know, I, I think it's the leverage of our audiences speaking up. There's right. a yes. page that is based a lot on the, the different pages on the audio description project where audiences can reach out, whether it's a Facebook link or Twitter or an email mm -hmm. or a phone call and how to get a hold of these companies and say, we love this work. This is excellent work. Please bring us more. Or uh, to Brian's point of this sucks. And as more people speak up, I can't imagine that these companies who are outside of the mandate, these streaming services specifically, right. are able to, to step that's up. Right. Oh, that's what our audiences want. So let's give it to them. And the yep. community of consumers have to make some good trouble. 
You know, that phrase has been bandied about a lot in the last year or two. Make some good trouble. Be visible. Make some noise about it. One other thing about the future of description in answer to Roy's question, too, is is a technological development. I, I just want to put a bit of a plug in here for um, what used to be called ActiveView and was purchased by Charter Communications. Now it's called Spectrum Access, and it's an app that folks can download to their smartphone. It will listen to the sound of a movie in a movie theater or at home in your living room. Then you, you download the audio description track to a particular movie. That app listens and syncs that audio description track so that you can hear it with your own smartphone, your own earbud. The other nice thing about doing it at home is then the rest of the family doesn't have to have the description on if they don't want to have it on. But, you know, I, I, I always listen to the description if it's good. Uh, so that's something else that is developing and uh, uh, getting more and more uh, play out there. Mr. Samuelson, thank you so much for being here. We want to give Roy a chance to plug his podcast as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, Roy, please. Thanks. I Please check out all the podcasts that are out there on the Audio Description Project. There's a list of uh, J.J. Hunts, who's now expanding into the, I, I think you already addressed the, the James Bond, as well as describing news and current events. That's right. I provide the audio description narrators of America know your narrator series. It's a horribly titled thing because we're interviewing people internationally as well as experts outside of, of narrators. Oh yeah. Give them the focus, whether it's blind consumers, blind experts and writers, producers of audio description, as well as voice talents sharing the background in the intent of letting our audiences know the, the many levels of care and detail that go into this work. And the title of the podcast is Know Your Narrators? Yes, it's the Audio Description Narrators of America Presents Know Your Narrator. Excellent. <laughs> pretty, uh, pretty lengthy. Thank you. It's a lengthy title. Thank you so much, <laughs> uh, Mr. Samuelson. At some point in, in, the, in the somewhat distant future, because we've had two programs on audio description recently, I'd love to have you on to talk about this stuff in more detail, so don't be surprised if you hear from me. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Rick. Yeah, it's always good to hear from Roy. Uh, thank you, Roy. Aaron Espinoza, please. Um, a couple uh, short questions. Uh, any interest in audio, audio describing an entire video game? There's been news about that. Ah. And another one is uh, audio description on YouTube as a I mean, just a person in general, but especially a young person that's always on YouTube. That's a uh, a uh, great thing, audio description. I know uh, just recently there was an audio description for the first time put on, a, I think it was a trailer or something to do with a video game, but audio That's description right. was added, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, Microsoft, which owns Xbox, um, has been leading the way in developing description for trailers of their games, for promotional videos for their games. Um, the the idea of doing description, having description crafted for the game itself and making it accessible is something that's being pursued. It's a tricky thing to do because obviously, as you know, or as any gamer knows, uh, you're making choices constantly and you're going down this hall or you're going over this mountain or you're shooting this uh, opponent or whatever. 
and so you're making that choice. And there's and then, a huge amount of description that would be required to oh, cover all goodness. those eventualities. Exactly. So yeah. there are ways that are pl being played with and explored in order to do that. And I, I think Microsoft is is up on on that, as well as folks in other countries are doing that. Uh, there have been a number of papers written academically about it. Uh, so it is being explored, which is which is a good thing, uh, certainly. And um, Oh, the other part of your question, I'm, I'm blanking out here. YouTube. YouTube, of yeah. course. Well, YouTube, how many how many videos are out there on YouTube? One billion, bajillion. Uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, you know what? Actually, here's another uh, aspect of the Audio Description Project. We uh, collaborated with the Smith Kettlewell Eye um, Research Institute in San Francisco uh, and the brilliant uh, Dr. Josh Mealy Blindband, uh, who developed the Video Description Research Center that we were a part of, and you describe which is a way for anybody to simply develop description for something on YouTube. Uh, they, they, they pair it basically in the cloud. They're able right. to use Udescribe to do that. Um, it's it's volunteer-based, kind of like the way uh, one accesses uh, description using Be My Eyes uh, right. or IRA. IRA, the agents are paid, of course. Uh, uh, I've done training for IRA agents, though, because uh, you know reading a, a soup can label is different from describing a picture. And, and I I've worked with him on that a little bit, um, but you know that that's um, that's a, a big one. The you describe is making a little dent in. Well, and, well and, Joe, and what yeah, about the recent what about the recent work we're doing with Google? We sure. did approach Google in the last oh I'd say six months to talk to them about having a toggle switch on exactly YouTube on the internet, and, and that's they, coming. They both yeah, released that's right. They both released the ability to re as of only within the last month on the internet version of YouTube, now to play multiple tracks. So that right. now has been installed as a feature. So hopefully as a result, we now have given the producers of such content to have the ability to post one video that plays multiple tracks rather than post separate videos to do audio. Exactly. That's so hopefully, hopefully we're on the right track. That's something yep. that, uh, you know, obviously developing the description is a whole other thing. And that's what I was uh, getting at. Thank but you. That, that whole idea of having two tracks is something I've been carping on for years. And finally, we're getting that, you know, every video player on the Internet has a button to toggle on captions. Why not description? In order yeah. to have, to, you know, people have to put up two copies of the video, like, like Carlson was back to the old VHS days. Yeah, uh, Blockbuster so. had to have two copies of every video there, one with description, one without. No, and that's, for the that's most ridiculous. part, they didn't. That's right, <laughs> Mr. Rick. Yeah, YouTube is a great place for people to practice the craft. Of sure, audio description it is. Too, Good so. point. And there's but, actually, I mean, I've seen a number of audio described things on on YouTube. It's not they're not there. Um, right. You yeah. have to look for them, but sure. they but they are there. Yeah, and and I think they were once Paul, where the the audio description and the audio track were kind of merged, and yes. I, I think what uh, Carl's talking right. about is a way to separate it. Yeah, but well, yeah. actually, and you know, um, when when you describe was being developed, uh, my big thing with with uh, Josh Mealy, Doctor Mealy, was simply that um, this is this is so fantastic. This has got to go forward and become a thing, and it did. But let's make sure that on the website there are at least the primer 
on how to do the description. Because right. again, quality of the description. You don't want just somebody just talking. Uh, no, it, it, that ruins the experience. They, they need to know what they're doing at, to, to some yep. extent. Agreed. Beth, please. Yeah, Beth, hi. Beth. Hey, guys, this is fascinating. I have a slightly different take on something that was said before. When we were talking about the narrator's um, quality of verbal usage in describing. Sure. Yeah. I don't care. I am so fascinated and delighted to have these bouquets of description that we have been blessed with. It's not like reading a book. You're not listening nonstop to the narrator. I don't care what the narrator sounds like. What I care about is A, being able to understand the narrator, B, not ha and this is coupled with A, not having the movie or show track override the narrator. Right, right, right. sure. And C, having the information, I'm totally blind. I have never seen a TV show. I don't have a way to have someone describe things to me. I use, a lot of the time I use Saratech, which has hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of described shows, movies, documentaries. Yeah, yeah, they do. <laughs> and I will take any voice in any way, as long as, my aforementioned uh, requirements are met, which of course would have to be true to hear the description. I will take anyone's voice yep. to give me those yep. nuggets of knowledge. Sure. So Beth, Beth the, the, you know, I, I think you actually represent a pretty large proportion of, of our blind population who are really grateful for the audio description that we have. What I would suggest to you though, is that you might want to think about whether your gratitude and, and, and your appreciation of audio description is, is, is making you uncritical and perhaps unwilling um, to, to be a part of making audio description better, which is what, which is what filing complaints will do. How, how would you respond to that, Beth? I would say that technology is going to be the answer to those things. I think that probably we will have in the future a variety of, uh, I could see Alex doing descriptions. Yeah, well, I, could, I was afraid I you were going to say, that's another whole can of worms. <laughs> well, but I mean, I, I, could, I, I could see it. I, I would like to see more work instead of basically working on the narrators. I'd like to see more work on. And on the writing. Yep. Um, well, the, the, the writing seems to, I, I haven't, I, I can't remember, a few times I've wondered, maybe it could have been a little more specific, the, the actual descriptions. But aside from that, I think that where we need to do some work is, as I said, a, quite a number of times the show will override no, no, the narrator. That's right. That's right. Yeah, get it, getting that good audio mix. balance. The mix. Yeah, that is what yep. I think needs the most work. 
But Beth, you know, I, I, I would encourage you, because clearly you love description and you know about description. I would encourage you to listen to one of Roy Samuelson's podcasts. He's got one in particular. Uh, and in fact, at his keynote speech at our conference this past mm-hmm. year, um, he, he gave some wonderful examples of how a voice talent can completely ruin the description. And I'll tell you something, you can get some mediocre writing and a wonderful voice talent can make it work. But yep. it and 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 the best description is when the voice talent knows what the describer is doing. The describer can use fewer words because the voice talent will be able to suggest the meaning and fewer words are or like the, gold. Or the mood anyway. That's yep. gold, the mood, exactly so, yep. or like gold. So there's a real intricate relationship going on there. And I would welcome you to be a part of one of our audio description institutes where not only, you know, in Royce, you'll hear terrible voicing and what it can do to ruin description. And then we have samples of, of, professional quote-unquote description networks paid for description the writing of it that is just ridiculous just awful awful. and no matter who voices it it's going to be intrusive and distracting so that 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 stuff is out there miss beth thank you so much for your call thank you guys um mr rick yeah tina Thank you. Thank you. You know, this issue of audio description, there are so many things I could bring up. You know, you you almost, I would like, I almost would like to see this become a regular weekly topic just to get all the issues. (laughs) Um, One, I personally do not believe text-to-speech is a good idea for audio description. I know that some people have tried to do that with a few series. I am not going to recommend that at all. (laughs) <laughs> I do not find that. How, how, how do you feel? How do you feel about that, Tina? How do you really feel? Yeah. <laughs> I don't like it. I I'm going to say this. I don't like it. I understand that you don't like it. Okay. No, my point is, I think it's a bad idea because, like, I think was it you, Joel, that commented about how important the voice talent is. That's right. To, That's, yes. And that's why I don't like it. Yeah, that's why anytime they try to use um, TTS, I understand their siren song argument of it will cost less, but I will not buy it because it's going to spoil everything. Yeah. So, so let 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 me raise a question. Let's make the assumption that you're Please. doing a local production. It's it's um it it, it you you don't have you don't have any money. It, you may be you may be amateurs. Um, and uh, you're not expecting to market to the whole country or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And, and you have a choice between providing audio description using text-to-speech or not providing it at all. I'm not sure on that one because um, I just really feel a tension here because um, – I believe what you're thinking of is like uh, the, you know, a, a local theater group. Is that what you're thinking of? Well, it could be a local theater group, or it could be a local company um, that mm-hmm. is that is that is doing meetings for its folks, um, and is oh, and is at least thinking about it yeah, um, in terms of making audio description available. Yeah, and for something like that, I wouldn't mind it as much. What I don't like it for is 
things like movies, plays, and right. so forth. Yeah. That is where I'm hesitant to use TTS. Because I, I think that's fair. Yeah. I think but that's if fair. it's something that's that's going to be just the facts, I don't mind text to speech. Right, and know? that's what the research that's what research has borne out uh, yeah. to, to, to date. I don't that, like it. I don't like yeah. uh, use of text to speech for things like movies or plays or whatever but if it's just going to be you know a graph or something for an educational program where yeah, it's very yeah, yeah as dragnet would say just the facts man <laughs> yeah software would work i want to bring up another couple of issues and i put this out on the list and nobody's commented on these number one on youtube we see a lot of videos that have on-screen text and most of the time they're very trivial but what if you're a student in a classroom setting and it's, there's no voice narration at all. It's just on-screen text. What are you going to do about that? And uh, are there other ways to solve the foreign films problem with uh, um, AD and subtitles? Because, yeah. you know, in an ideal world, every single foreign film out there, would they would have people, you know, dub it in the States and then add description. But you yeah. can't always do that. So what are we going to do about that? How do we, you know, that's something we, we and I sure. can't. We can't ignore that because no, if right. we do, the problem is just going to get All right. worse. All right. That's right. All right. Joel. Well, sure. You know, the voicing of subtitles, to my way of thinking, is simply a part of audio description. It's a kind of audio description. How do you mm -hmm. make text accessible? You read it aloud, basically. <laughs> and that's what, um, you know, was, I was so pleased that we were able to get the British version of description for Parasite. Tina, did, but, did you watch Parasite? At, at, no, I missed it. I missed yeah, but it. At the same so, time, at well, the same time, their budget was so limited. I think that's what you're going to get to, Paul. Um, well, it. no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get to the fact that trying to deal with subtitles and audio description together um, is, is a very onerous process. And for the most part, it, is. Um, it turned me off the movie. Well, see, mm. my point, though, Paul, is that they had a, such a limited budget. They had one voice talent doing it all and you have to be super skilled in order to do that i've done that for some mm -hmm. foreign films um but ideally you will have one voice talent voicing the subtitles sometimes more than one if it's a male character if it's a female character and then mm -hmm. another voice talent voicing the description again and and the voicing of the subtitles it's like it's like a dub, essentially. You're speaking mm -hmm. over, sure. you're speaking w when the character in the film is speaking, so you're not getting in the way of anything necessarily. Yeah, I, um, I'm, I'm just not sure it worked. It, it worked yeah. well with Parasite, though. I mean, for, for me, it was very off-putting, and it was, Got it, it. Uh, yeah. I, I, I really found it very, very difficult to watch. Yeah, yeah but I, that's, I've heard that's, that. That's I've one that man's too. meat. But you're right. Um, in, in educational videos, it's the same thing, Tina. Uh, you right. know, those. Th that's why DCMP is so great for uh, kids in secondary school and elementary school. Those yeah, but this is videos. college. Oh yeah, that, yeah. I don't well, think even, DCMP goes into college. No, no they, don't. they don't. They don't. But you know, in colleges, they have a responsibility to make sure that media presented to students is accessible. And many colleges will go to companies like mine, Audio Description Associates, or others, uh, to create a description track for a film just being yes. shown for one student. Um, right. It's their responsibility to do that. Yeah. There, there is a good example on Netflix of a film right now or a television show called Unorthodox, 
where a lot of the show, because it's about a young woman trying to escape the Orthodox Jewish community, so a lot of the show is right. in Yiddish, and there are multiple describers, um, excuse me, voices, who one will read the subtitles, one will do the description. So it's a good example of how it does work well. If anybody wants yep. to check it out on Netflix, it's That's called right. Unorthodox. Mm-hmm. I miss it. And Ms. this is Tina. Been, I'm sorry. This has been around for a while. Um, if you remember the film Passion of, of the Christ, oh, um, yes. that was all in Aramaic. But right. the Aramaic was subtitled in English. Those subtitles were voiced, and another mm-hmm. voice did the description. Yep. Right. Ms. Tina, right. thank you very much for your questions. Oh, thank I think you. I think they're very intriguing. Well, I, uh, Ms. I think we've got to talk about this stuff, especially sure. well, what to do about, like, as I said, on YouTube videos, on-screen text, we have to yep. address this because if we, we, we don't, are, we are talking it's going about it, to get worse. It's yep. going to get worse. And if we don't fix it, we're going to have, we're going to lose these students. Um, thanks, Tina. Mr. Rick. Yes. Chris Coulter, please. Hi. Chris. Hi. Yeah, I want to wind back a little bit. I want uh, you. I caught my ear listening to the um, talking about the discussion about Peacock, which I I do watch, and um, I was I was very appreciative of hearing why uh, or that they actually the Comcast actually wanted to have the audio description and they they were working on it and it it got right. somehow. But I am I I want to say that I I believe they really are thinking in terms of accessibility because I've noticed some uh, better a little bit better labeling of buttons lately and mm-hmm. right and and so I think they really I think that they are someone that are, well are, I, I think Comcast is streets and roads ahead yes of, of everybody else in terms of mm-hmm. in terms of creating an overall accessible environment because it doesn't only That's apply right. It doesn't only apply to their to to their cable, um, right. it, you know. It applies to their home security systems. It applies across right. the board with what they're doing, mm-hmm. and and you know they've they've set the gold standard. The sad thing is um, that other companies haven't chosen to adopt their standard and instead have have put out crap. Yes, oh, I agree. Did I say that? I agree. <laughs> I agree. I, I Can you say that right on ACB that. Radio? I just yes, did. You just did. It, it didn't blow up. It didn't blow. Up. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and and so I'm I'm um, I'm going to be on a, a panel at the our state convention, and I will be talking a little bit more about. Um, it, it's a panel on cutting the cord. So I'm sure. Oh, oh, that's great. That, we so. will look forward. We will look forward to it, Chris. Bravo you. to you, Chris. That's and great. thanks for your question. Thanks Excellent. a lot. Uh huh. Rick. Yeah, Jeff, please. Jeff? Hi. Um, several little things, hopefully quick. On Peacock, how do you figure out what's audio described and what is not? I don't is think a, a lot a, is a, now. If, if Carl's still here, still here, he can comment. But I think their, their intent is to, is, to, is to gradually incorporate um, audio description. When Tom Lukowski was at our ACB convention this summer, um, he indicated that when Peacock launched, it was not, in fact, going to have much audio description. But he made a commitment that probably by the end of the year, 
um, there would be a substantial amount of audio description available. But right now, I don't think it's there. Carl, do you want to add anything more? No, I, I know that Tom working on it and it will happen. And I think when it does, we will probably list it on oh, yeah. the audio description project website and hopefully NBC Universal will also list it on their website. But stay tuned for more details. I don't oh, yeah. know them yet because I don't think Tom can share them with anybody. Right. So, I just, so, so keep I watching, just, Jeff. I just really yep. hope that you know, when this does happen, it would be really nice if they could put a audio description category in the browse section. Of course. Yep. Because yep. a lot of them don't like, yeah. you know, your, your big deal with Hulu, they may have audio described equipment, uh, you know, product, but unless I go to the website, there's no way for me to figure that yeah, out. That's right. In the yeah. browse section, the only way you can determine that is to be on the website, not, not on Apple TV. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it's yep. a problem. It's a problem. So, I wish another, there was a good another, solution. It, it, yeah. Jeff, it, Jeff, it reminds me of the when DVDs started to have description. Wasn't that wonderful? But of course, they weren't accessible. You couldn't turn the description on because they're right, all based exactly. on visual menus. You exactly. Know, crazy. Yeah. So, um, Philo and Lowcast.org. Lowcast uh, is a, a service where they take over-the-air broadcasts and then run them through the internet for TV markets. Mm-hmm. And uh, they just expanded into Minneapolis. And so I contacted them and they told me that they will not pass through audio description tracks at this time because they are a new company and they don't have the resources. But they said down the road, it may happen. And with Philo TV, which I really like, they also do not pass through the audio description. And they kind of said they have no plans to do it at all. Oh, this is Carl. So, yeah, Carl, so, sounds like you ought to get Jeff these? involved in what you're doing. Um, right. Well, first of all, there's some question. There's several lawsuits against Lowcast, so there's some questions to whether that's even legal. Because what they do is they just go on the internet, right, and borrow, borrow the feed and we right. that purpose. Philo is legal. It's a paid description. It's a paid streaming service. And you're right, we have some work in that area, and unfortunately, they're not mandated under the CVAA, and that's something we are looking forward to hopefully including in the CVAA 2.0 and copying what the deaf community did, saying if it ever airs on broadcast and goes to streaming, that's right. carry it over, and we hope to do the same thing in the next version. Yeah. Plus, you know, someone mentioned Saratech. Um, they're, they're, the legal issues around ripping tracks from uh, a DVD and then posting them on a website. Um, that's a dicey and tricky kind of thing. I think to the extent that people who are blind are more visible, more demanding of what is their right. Um, and it, it's viable. It's, it's commercially viable for these folks. Again, 26 million people, their friends, their families. You know, I think the studios will learn that they, they should be licensing this. They should be making it available. Yeah. Um, it, it, people don't have to, to rip it from a DVD and, or something like and, that. And I've always felt that Shouldn't if, if, if an entity um, like, like Netflix, like um, Amazon Prime, has made audio description available, I as a blind person have an obligation to support that. Sure. Um, and, and, and to pay the subscription just because it seems to me. Um, 
the 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 appropriate thing for a community to acknowledge uh, what folks weren't required to do, um, but have done. And I, I want to be sure that we never get to the place where there's there are so few blind people who have subscribed that yeah. that they say what why the hell yep. are we doing this? Forget it. Right. Yeah. Yep. Mr. Rick. Yes, phone number 4640, please. Good evening, all. Betty Passanante here. From Philadelphia, uh, Miss Passanante. From Philadelphia, yes, indeed. We just survived <laughs> our state convention. We had a great time. Great. And, your, and your, of course, your, your work in the National was, was amazing. I've got a very Thank basic, que- basic low-techy question. <laughs> I have Fios TV. I don't have a voice remote yet. I guess I should get one. But even if I did, why can't I just push a button for audio description? Why do I have to go into a menu and yep. go to settings and accessibility <laughs> and audio and uh, language preference and all the hoop de do? Because I would like to keep it on audio description all the time. Sure. But then you run into the same with the Spanish. Yep. You want to watch a ball game? Anyway. Yeah. That, that is, yeah. as, uh, so why isn't? Why can't I just push a button? Yeah, you can for captioning with many remotes. How about it? I'm I'm with you there, boy. Yeah, um, and, and, and now, so, if I do, if I were so, to have a voice remote, would the voice does that read enough of the menu for me to do it myself once I, you know, put my mind to it? No, I don't think so. Oh, great. Um, but I but I don't know that, so so don't take what I absolutely say. But but I think you can take what I'm about to say as okay. meaningful. All right. There are. There are two different rules that are operating um, for broadcast. One concerns um, emergency information, and the other concerns audio description channels. There really is no requirement that 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 says that there has to be a single simple control that will enable you to get into audio description um, for regular television programming. But there is a requirement for emergency communication, which is conducted in the same place, that, that there has to be a simple way of getting there. Um, I'm in a big fight at the moment with DirecTV um, because right now for emergency communication, the, the only way you can get to it is the same way that you get to um, audio description That's right. That's right. Um, with, with, um, with their other product. And that takes literally eight keystrokes to get from point A to point B. And that's ridiculous. So um, the emergency will do, have passed by that time. Right. What I, what I would do if I were you <clears throat> is, um, is file a complaint with the federal communications over emergency communications because that they are required to simplify when I filed my complaint, what they indicated was they were working on it, but the, but the COVID uh, 19 had oh, gotten in the I way, am, but there's still... I hate to say this. People, I'm sorry, people are using this COVID as an excuse. I know we've got a very bad virus here. Yeah, I, and they I are. knew this would happen. People are using it as an excuse yeah. to not do their jobs. But that's that's what I would do, Miss Betty. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the other thing is... Um, I get, uh, what was the other thing? Well, the, uh, the fact that you can... Uh, it, I mean, what, right, there's, maybe it's not a requirement, but why can't you... Why don't, why don't, why don't they just do it? Well, uh, it's a good question, I'm sorry. but there's I'm not, not even a good sure answer. To, oh, oh, here's the one I wanted to say real, really quickly. A number, uh, the other thing is, you have, it, there's, this stuff is out there, but your providers don't know about it. You call the disability line on files for support, right. and if you're lucky, oh, you get somebody who, 
you know, that, they're not trained. That, that, you're, you're absolutely correct, and and it, yeah. and and it's true with virtually every one of the companies. And I'm, I'm not, I, you know, I think the only, the only place that gets good marks is Comcast that has Comcast, a special disability section. Yeah. Um, yeah. Betty, point, thank you so much. That's a it's a great that's point, Betty. That's something right. that the the disability advisory committee has has tried to broach as well. Um, you know, all of the networks are required to have a person, a contact person for captioning. We've very much wanted to them to be able to say, make it the same person. That's the person that you contact for description. Make it visible. Make it easy. And and yep. we've gotten a lot of um, pushback on even on that. So yeah. um, we're working on it. Mr. Rick. Yes, Richard, please. Richard? Yes, it's, hello, it's Richard Riemann, Joel, uh, from oh, hi, Imagination Richard. Storybooks. Exactly. Just sure. wanted to hi, give Richard. you a quick update on the project. Okay. Uh, we are creating audiobooks of illustrated books, children's books, yeah. with description, with audio description. Professional narrators, professional written audio description, uh, editing, all of that. And we have funding for the first 40 children's illustrated books with description. And our goal is 200 of them uh, by the end of uh, 2021. That's so great. And, wow. and uh, it's going very well. And this is an area that was missing in audiobooks to have, you know, preschool level sure. um, books, audiobooks with descriptions of the illustrations. Where will um, they be available from, sir? Um, a YouTube children's channel. And perhaps we can become part of the uh, Joel's uh, audio description project, too. No, that Ooh. would be great. I think, <laughs> sure. I think we would love, I Provide think we would access love to have to you. You know, uh, Richard and I have talked about the, the, this is something I've approached Braille publishers about. You know, the Braille presses will do children's books um, with, with all the text in Braille. Great. But children's books are, are by and large, about pictures why yes. aren't the pictures and, and some do some do they will describe the pictures and then braille the descriptions some of it happens but not nearly enough the same kind of thing i think richard that you're getting at uh those those images should be described and if they're done well as i mentioned earlier anybody can appreciate them and enjoy them and learn from them uh yes Sir. i agree and, yeah. Thank and, you, thank you very much for let us letting us know about yeah, this project. Yeah, absolutely, yes, we, we will we will yeah. pester you some more. Thank you, okay. sir. <laughs> thank you, Rick. Yeah, Brian's back. Okay. Yeah, I wanted to talk about this easy to turn on and off audio description. Oh yeah. Oh. Um, we spent a lot of time putting together the recommendations to the FCC of of what we needed in this regard. And in the same way that the deaf community said that it had to be as easy to turn on and off captioning as it is to adjust volume. Sure. We yeah. said there needed to be, it needed to be as easy to turn on and off audio description as it was to uh, adjust video, right? Because we're trying to access sure. what we can right. see. And, uh, we use the same kind of language in our recommendation as the deaf community had in their efforts. The difficulty has been from the beginning of a term that they refer to as button bloat. 
You know, <laughs> right. you remember right. when a remote control had up, down, left, right, enter? <laughs> no room on the on the remote. <laughs> on the remote, the remote has so many buttons. Nine out of ten, but, I never but Brian, use. Brian, with and, with oh, all no, due we respect, argued it. Yeah. yeah, but with all due respect, you actually got for the most part what you want for ten years on on. Um, uh, DirecTV, to take the example I know the most about since I have it, um, a single button would get you into audio description. It was right. fine. An SAP button. Right. right. Absolutely true. That's right. right. And on my but, Comcast unit, a double tap of the A button right. will but, turn on and off audio but description. When they upgraded their equipment and, and obsoleted their older equipment, it now takes eight keystrokes to get audio description on. Right. So that yeah. brings me and, to the second and, thing that you said, and I've seen a couple of people talk about here, and that is the importance of filing a complaint. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But but my my complaint my complaint for regular audio description is irrelevant because there is no requirement written into CVAA, according to the FCC anyway. Uh, that requires that requires a, a minimum number of keystrokes. Right. There is for emergency say, communication, a, right? But not not for regular it. audio description. I understand. Yeah. Let but anyway, thank you. you. Does your remote does your remote allow you to turn on and off um, emergency information? In the same way as I do audio description. In other words, it's just as inaccessible. Correct. As a matter of complexity. So and and I have violation. And it, it is. It is. And I have. And, and I have filed that complaint. So I'm saying that we need. And to I will refile every it. blind person. Right. To not complain to one another, but to <laughs> complain in the system that's designed to do something about it. That, that's this correct. has always been a problem in the blindness community. You talk about which community complains the least about ADA violations. Yep, that's right. The blindness community. That's about right. CVAA pro compliance problems, the blindness community. You know, I, we, I have actually stopped complaining to the right people. That's right. Yeah. I have challenged people from industry on our disability advisory committee at the FCC. I've challenged them sometimes to go home and sit in front of your television and turn on the audio description. They can't do it. They don't, no. or they, they, and they're sighted and they can't yeah. do it. They can't figure it out. It takes eight strokes. 10 strokes, 12. It, yep. They say no, that it's a problem and it just hasn't happened. Uh, the solution hasn't happened. But we hope it will. Thank you, Brian. Mr. Joel, you have um, two minutes to say whatever you want to and, and <laughs> maybe direct people to you and to, um, and to ADP. Listen, um, as I oftentimes say in, in my trainings, there is just no reason. There's no good reason why a person with a physical disability must also be culturally disadvantaged. No, television, theater, dance, opera, museums, it's all part of our culture. And, and I believe that to the extent a person is, has more access to our culture, is more engaged with society, I think they become more engaging individuals. And tell me if you think this is true, Paul. My belief, 
there ought to be a longitudinal study that would go over years that say to the extent that someone is more connected to society via audio description, they become more engaged, more employable. And I just wonder sure. if ultimately audio description could have an impact on the, the, a major problem uh, with people who, with disabilities, people who are blind with 70% unemployment, you know. So yep. that's something I would I would leave you with. Uh, I think the audio description project, uh, again, to tooting our own horn at ACB, uh, uh, it really has done a great. You know, we made we've made the last three inaugurals uh, accessible. We've made the uh, eclipse in 2017 accessible. The Holocaust Museum arena stage. Uh, every performance at a perf at a production was was made accessible as opposed to like two performances in a six week run. So we're doing everything we can possibly do to uh, to broaden the availability of description we're getting there sir thank you very much well you uh, bet remember everybody um, acb.org slash adp is where you find more information in one place on audio description than is available anywhere else in the world there you go thank you paul mr joel thank you very much you for bet. being a guest a and, pleasure and it's been fun thank you yes i agree thanks so much Mm -hmm. Ladies right. and gentlemen, Bye -bye. next week on Tuesday Topics, we are going to do something interesting, uh, maybe. We're going to have our, our regular Tuesday Topics, and, and we're relying on you to make it good. I want you to call in and talk about your election experiences, whether you voted by mail, whether you voted with assistance, whether you voted at, at a uh, polling place what your experience was, what kind of cooperation that, that did you have. But we are also considering being your go-to place for getting information on what's going on. We're not going to be commenting on, um, on the results so much, but we would like to comment on the campaign. We would like to discuss how the election night is being perceived, how the coverage is being perceived by blind people. We have talked with ACB Radio, and assuming that we have lots of interest at the end of Tuesday Topics, we will actually move from ACB Mainstream uh, to the ACB Live channel and continue. So it will be up to you guys to determine whether or not Tuesday Topics becomes your go-to place for election 2020. Um, I have loads of other people who are going to join me next week, uh, among them uh, Anthony Corona uh, from Sunday Edition. And uh, we'll also have um, uh, one of ACB's uh, access folks. Um, and who knows who else might join us as panelists. But the idea is we don't want it to become a partisan exercise. That's not what we're interested in. But we do want to know if you, as the listeners to ACB, and you, as the callers in ACB, want a place you can hang out election night and discuss how things are going. So how successful we'll be will entirely depend on how successful you are at keeping us alive and kicking. I think our program this evening on audio description has indicated both how complicated and how exciting audio description is. 
I'd like to thank uh, Rick for handling hand raising and one of the twins for doing our streaming for us. It's been a pleasure having all of you who have joined us both on the radio and via the internet. Tuesday Topics is only successful if you, as our audience, engage and involve yourselves in the issues we discuss. So I'd like to thank all of you for being a part of Tuesday Topics and making it the success that it's been. Ladies and gentlemen, unless we make the visual verbal, audio description doesn't happen. And that's the title of Joel's book, of course. Good night. Thank you.